Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. What's in a name? Well, according to a post on the Mamma Mia Out Loud Facebook page, many of you have an opinion about women who take their husband's surname after marriage. My new father-in-law introduced me as Mrs Johnson and I had to interrupt and say, actually, it's uh, Mrs Smith Johnson. I've been married three times. Once I started changing, I kept changing. 99% of people assume it's my last name. When I say it's not, I get asked if I'm their real mother. We decided to give the kids both our names in a double-barreled surname because I didn't want a different name to my children. The whole idea that keeping your last name makes you a feminist is so flawed. So I'm meant to believe that keeping the last name you inherited from a man that was given to him by a man that was given to that guy by a man is somehow a way women can assert the fact that they aren't allowing themselves to be possessed by a man. Today, we're looking at the politics of the name debate, where it started, what it means and where we take it from here. Just a heads up that in today's discussion, we're mostly referring to those in cisgender heteronormative couples. We will touch on how this issue affects those in same-sex marriages and other gender identities, but for the most part, we'll be focusing on couples made up of men and women. Why do we even have surnames? Well, because there are just too damn many of us. Back in medieval England, most people were referred to only by their first names, a name that was conferred at baptism, a Christian name. But as the population grew and there were too many Josephs and Marys and Annes and Thomases in a community, something had to be done to differentiate them. It varies from culture to culture, but your surname, or in some instances your forename, is a way to connect you to your tribe or family through a patriarchal line. The oldest English-documented surnames hark back to 11th-century barons, whose surnames reflected either their occupation, their father's Christian name, where they were born, or a physical feature. For example, for those named for occupations, you might be Jane Baker, Jennifer Hunter, or Irene Thatcher. Or if you were named for your location, you could be Diana Marsh, Elizabeth Underhill, or Josephine Atwood. By the 15th century, the surname was inherited from those who went before you. In some parts of Asia, Europe and Africa, your family name goes at the start of your name. And for others, like in some Spanish and Portuguese-speaking countries, you can have several surnames. In China, surnames have been in use since the 2nd century BC, and it's believed the Irish were the first in Europe to use fixed surnames, with a man by the name of O'Cleary dying in 916 AD. The most common surname in the world is Wang, a Chinese name that means king in Mandarin. It's believed around 76 million people in the world share that name, beating out Devi in second place, an Indian name meaning goddess, which is shared among 69 million people. 
But while the history nerds among us can find ourselves falling well and truly down the genealogy surname rabbit hole, there's one aspect of it that remains controversial. Should you change it when you get married? In Australia, more than 80% of women take their husband's name after marriage, and 96% of Aussie-born children are given their father's name. It started around the 9th century in England. Lawmakers began to consider the legality surrounding families and marriage. The doctrine of coverture was created, where upon birth of a female baby, who was given her father's surname, that at the point of marriage, her name would automatically change to that of her husband's. It relied on the common law understanding that husband and wife were one, and that in a patriarchal society, the husband is the one. The woman essentially belonged to the man, as did their children. It's not this way in all cultures, not even in all Western cultures. In France, women must use the name they were given at birth. So while socially they may be known by the husband's family name, legally you remain the same as the one on your birth certificate. It's illegal in Greece and Quebec in Canada for a woman to take her husband's name, and in some places it's customary for the woman to retain her name, like in the Netherlands, Malaysia and Korea. In Italy, a woman cannot remove her surname in favour of her husband's, but can tack his on to the end of hers. Here in Australia, you have the choice. You can take your husband's name, you can keep your maiden name, you can hyphenate your name or your husband can take yours, not something that happens very often. But the question is, can you be a feminist and take your husband's surname? There are some incredibly powerful women in the world who've chosen to take their husband's name. Amal Clooney, Beyonce Carter, Hillary Clinton, to name a few. Are they less of a feminist because they followed this old tradition? Professor Mary Lou Rasmussen is an academic in the College of Arts and Social Sciences at Canberra's Australian National University. She specialises in feminist theories and gender studies. Mary Lou, can you be both a feminist and follow traditionally patriarchal practices like changing your surname to that of your husband's? I think there's more than one way to be a feminist. I would certainly not assume that all people who had taken their husband's name weren't feminists. I think that that would be an incredibly patronising perspective to take. And I think it's interesting to think about the reasons why people decide to take their partner's name or not. And I think that it can be about any range of reasons. It can be emotional. It can be about the loss of a line within a family, which obviously happens to both partners. I think it can be about how people are sensing themselves and their relationship to their children. I think that the research suggests that that's one of the most powerful reasons that women take their partner's name. It's that sense that they want to be considered as a family unit. And I think that probably women also know that if they're going to take a feminist position around naming, that it's going to involve a lot of questioning from in-laws and from people that they don't know. And it can be especially complicated when you're travelling. So I think that you might be a good feminist and make a pragmatic decision that you will share names as well. But I think that there's also a very small subset of people who decide that they're not going to do it based on a political decision but I'd really hate to think that they were the only ones that were feminists because or else we've only got a very, very small percentage of the population that would qualify for that moniker. With things going on in the world, especially right now with things coming out of Canberra and the sort of reckoning that we seem to be facing as women in this country, it feels like such a small thing, the surname change, but it still remains such a hot button issue. Why do you think we are still so caught up on the surname debate? 
I think it's one of those things that people find hard to talk about. And I think for me, that kind of represents the level of emotion attached to it. And I think that the emotions attached to it are things that people can't necessarily even put their finger on. I think that people's attachments to handing on names is changing. And I think that it will continue to change in the next generation is my guess, because I think more people are going to be changing their names because of changing norms around sexual and gender identity and also the increasing number of people who might identify as non-binary. And I think that the changing in forenames is also going to influence people's decision-making around surnames. But I think that those emotional ties to wanting to have a shared name within a family unit and the perceived benefits of that in broader family networks and in society is not going to go away anytime soon. What's interesting in saying that as well is like how often and how quickly that breaks down because if couples divorce, obviously there's issues there in like, well, what do we do with the name if you know we're no longer married to that man and our children have got his name and not my family name? Like how do you address those sorts of changing family patterns and how is that going to impact naming in the present and going forward? But I think that often when people are making the decision about what they're going to call their children, they're probably more likely to be in a position where they're at least hopeful about the future of their relationship and not on the cusp of divorce. We know percentage-wise how many women take their husband's surname here in Australia, but do we know what the trend is amongst same-sex relationships or other gender identity couples? Do we know whether they're changing their surnames and how they're changing their surnames, if they are? There's a great bit of research by Deborah Dempsey and Joe Lindsay in looking at just that in the Australian context. And it is more complicated among same-sex parented families. And there's different sorts of logics, obviously, at play. There's more of a tendency towards hyphenation of names or giving the middle name of the social parent versus the biological parent to the child. So they have the biological mother's last name, but that's not in any way set in stone. I think that it should be a conversation that all couples have, and I'm not too sure if all couples probably would have the same amount of angst about naming as same-sex couples would because the conventions just aren't there. There's some interesting quotes in this research about how same-sex parents were making the decision. Like one parent says, I never even considered that my children would have anything other than my last name. If I was the one who was going to go through the pregnancies and the birth and the rest of it, I wanted them to have my name. It wasn't as though I didn't feel the kids were also a part of Sonia's family. I just really felt like it was recognition of that birth mum role. Mary Lou's colleague at ANU, PhD student Tate McAllister, who's also the Senior Program Coordinator at Agenda Agenda and specialises in transmasculinity embodiment and the historical medicalisation of trans people, says changing a surname for someone in the trans community is complex. The issues for trans people are obviously quite different to people who are thinking about naming children and family names. And certainly I think when trans people are maybe thinking about changing their first names, Thinking about changing second names is also something that comes up, and that's especially around people who might be wanting to move away from their family of origin, especially if there have been issues with them coming out, with them transitioning, kind of creating a break from that family of origin and potentially moving towards more of a chosen family or choosing a name that just represents who they are now can be quite important. So it's something that's a little bit different, I think, for trans people, their relationships to surnames. 
Mary Lou, do you think the surname debate would still be such a hot button issue if the balance started to even out between, say, men taking a woman's name as often as the woman taking the man's or the naming of children being more equally shared between men and women? I don't think those numbers are going to balance out anytime soon. The trends just don't suggest that. Like it's changing at a glacial pace. And so I think that these sorts of traditions just are really embedded in our culture at so many levels. It's not just about practicality. It's about tradition. It's about culture. It's about so many different things that reinforce those connections. There is one trend happening in the Australian context, which is a greater move towards new names or combined names for children that people are devising to try and get around this issue. I think in 100 years from now, my prediction is that things won't have moved that much. I think that there's such a long history here. I don't think that it's something which is going to flip. Women give many reasons for wanting to change their names. Some say it makes them feel fully a part of the family that includes having the same name as her own children. Some don't want to carry on the legacy of their fathers. Others like the sound of their husband's name. For some, it's to not upset other family members, and for others, picking an entirely new name is a fresh start, breaking free from the past. There are also cases of people now blending their surnames or of making their maiden name their middle name, adding to the practice of hyphenating it. So yes, the practice does hark back to the patriarchy. It's an outdated tradition that makes it so that the man in the relationship is considered the more important one. But does the fact that we have a choice mean something? It seems that from the data that for a lot of women, I imagine they can still think of themselves as feminists and make this decision. And they might be a feminist in many other ways, but they've decided not to do it through the naming. But I do think that that doesn't mean that women don't feel some discomfort around it. But I think that it can also be a way of smoothing the way into extended families. And I think that there is that strong emotional connection there and the social convenience and institutional convenience are things that outweigh the desire to stake a particular feminist position. You can still be a feminist and make a conservative decision around naming. That's the quickie for today. If you're keen to shoot us some feedback, we'd love to hear it. If you rate and review us in your favourite podcast app, we can check it out. This episode was produced by Siobhan Moran-McFarlane and myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.